So what we will look at this morning, um, you know, we've had three weeks in which we've s sought to impart a lot of um, the vision and the view of what God is doing in the earth, but not just that. That's exciting. But why is he doing it? Where are things going? And what is the desire of his heart? Who are we created to be? So ones that are loving him, that are worshipers, that love others, that love ourselves. Um, and then, of course, as this huge transition is coming with Jesus returning to take over all the nations of the earth to establish his kingdom, like Aaron was sharing this morning, to have a thousand years in which we will see him rule and reign from a throne, but not just see it, we'll be doing it with him. And as we will see the earth progressively become more beautiful again, nuclear waste that will just, he will have ways to get rid of that, war waste, just like he is such a good chemist, he knows how these processes work, whatever we've messed up, he knows how to reverse it, right, we're going to learn so much of how these things work, I was just having a conversation a little bit with Rihanna, how in my life I feel I have so many interests and areas I would love to dive more into, and I just don't have the time and the capacity, now why would God give us all these talents and opportunities or to learn when we don't have the time to do it all it's not to torture us or give us a feeling that we've missed it in this life right it's because we are made to do these things forever so we get those thousand years to to just do so much good with him i mean just the privilege of sitting with jesus around the table let's say he puts you over a city and then every once in a while he comes by to visit and to just talk with you through how it's going and mentor you in leadership i mean what an opportunity to be close to him that you actually get to interact with him, that he is that leader you've always looked up to and that you worship and love and adore from the depths of your being and now you're without sin and you get to learn how he has made everything beautiful in his heart and that those are the things that we're going to learn to express. I love the practical parts of the kingdom. I love thinking of like, I, I mean, every year I feel like I have a hobby like then I start beekeeping or aquaponics or other things because something in me is just bubbling. I just love these things. And so I get excited about designing a city with him where everything is sustainable, where everything is beautiful, where everything brings life, where the people are so happy and God-focused while they grow in community together, right? That's the things where we are going. And so whatever is on this side of Jesus' return is only a glimpse of where we're going. And even the thousand years are a glimpse of what is coming after that when God will restore everything and make it so incredibly beautiful. We really, I, I felt, I think I shared it the last time I preached to, uh, two weeks ago, but I felt it so clearly one moment I was looking at us and it was almost like we were looking through a glass window and almost like looking down a little. And that sense that I had that he's like, you have no clue what I have in store for all of us. Like we have no idea yet. And that's a good thing. What he has in store for us, who we truly are in him, the seed that we are now compared to who we are going to be. That new resurrected body alone is going to be a marvel. If, if our bodies, like Paul said, are like a seed compared to a plant, you know, if you compare a seed to a plant, it's the same thing, but it's so completely different. That's what he speaks about our bodies. He says who we will be is compar like comparing us now to then. It's like comparing a seed to the plant that came out of it. So imagine a little oak and then the oak tree that comes out of it. That difference. We have no clue yet. <laughs> We have some clues, but I mean, we have no real idea what we're going to be like and how his glory is going to be like and how real and exciting and amazing it's going to be. So this is not the topic. 
Um, but anyway, why, why I said is actually is, is we, we want us to, to have something set in our hearts of what God is doing in this time and who we are called to be and how amazing it is. And the things of the kingdom are foolish to this world. So the problem we have is we are still so full of this world that the things of the kingdom look foolish to us. And so we struggle to pray daily, to really engage and see how amazing it is. I preach about it, and then I sit at home, and I just miss. I realize after days, I'm like, wow, I haven't had a lot of time in the Word. I haven't had a lot of time. I, I, I communicate with the Lord. I walk with Him. I'm not nervous about that. I'm not thinking like, oh, I'm not connected with Him. But it's not at the depth that I want to be. And those seasons of clarity, when I see the things that move, and some intercession is birthed in my heart, and I, whether it's on stage, on a microphone, or just sitting in a room on a chair, that you have the clarity that doesn't matter, that you just know that right now I'm, it doesn't matter if I'm in front of the room or sitting in a chair, I'm before that throne. And that one person that, can govern ev- that governs everything and can make any decision he wants is the one that has my ear, that whose hear- ear I have. That, that clarity, you know, when we have those things so much more clear, we live different. And that's really his desire, and it's our desire for all of us, that we will be equipped in such a way that when we walk away, we don't just seek to um, be good at some skill sets and be good at just repeating what we've learned in a, in, in a practical way, but that something in our heart is set that is clear, that we understand why it is good that we pray and worship. And it's not just good, that it's just what comes out of us. That's what we're drawn to. That's what we long for because we see him more than what we've been learning as in like practical ways to do it. I hope it makes sense a little bit what I'm saying. Um, some of you are nodding, so I think it does something good. Um, so what I wanted to look at, um, I could say the topic I could say is intercessory missionaries. But I would say it's, it's more a package we want to present before us and say what is God speaking to us about our identity as his children, as his house. Um, and I want to say, my hope is that today you won't hear a lot of new things, in a way. My hope is actually that it starts becoming familiar what you're hearing, and that what's becoming familiar is what you're actually starting to live, and what you're starting to do, and that you're actually able to share with others the things, that, the, the truth that is becoming clear in your spirit. So, and that's an in general encouragement. I think Paul and Peter both write this, um, I forgot if it's Paul or Peter, but one of them literally writes to this one church and says, I do not get tired of repeating myself, and I make sure I'll entrust it to somebody else who will keep teaching you these things when I am gone. It was Peter. I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was uh, in Peter. And so it made me laugh once my leader said, so imagine, you know, you have had the same preacher for many years, and you're like, man, there he comes again with his topic. You know, and then your favorite preacher with the same topic over and over again says, hey, guys, I'm leaving, but I made sure this guy is going to do the same message for the coming two decades. You know, (laughs) so we often think, man, it's not fresh and new. And there's something about God having fresh and new things. But at the same time, the freshness and newness often comes through starting to walk in the things he's telling us. It's not the knowledge in our head only when that's fresh and new that is so, so good. It's, it's really good for us that things are exciting every once in a while and fresh. But the freshness isn't always because you have never heard it before. It is often actually that the same truths start going a level deeper and another level deeper. And it's changing your life. So that's my hope for us that we don't just, we're not just people with itching ears that always want to hear something new. But we are people that really are longing 
to take this truth and say, God, let this just be what I really walk for decades. And that I just can't get enough of it because when I really do it, new life comes forth every time I do it. All right. So, um, when I say intercessory missionaries, any thoughts? What do we think about? What is an intercessory missionary? Aaron? People that make a bridge in what way? Yep. So standing in between, bridging. Yep. Good. Creating a way to the Lord. I think you were raising your hand. Was it? Okay. Sorry. Anyone else? Uh huh. Yep. Many hours in God's presence. Hmm. Yep. 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 So you're saying David went to God first, got a strategy, and then with that he would go out and do it. Yeah. And um, great. I like these thoughts. So why would there be intercessory missionaries? Mm-hmm. Yep. To do the things of God's heart. Any other thoughts? Because God sets them in place. Yep. He wants them. Any other thoughts? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no car runs on an empty tank. So, yeah, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so in intercession, we actually rule and reign with God uh, and, and speak out his purposes. I will get back to this, but I think it's... Um, it's good to hear these thoughts and just to get a picture of uh, together of these different facets. Okay, so Isaiah 56 verse 7, very familiar verse, probably. And it says, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. <coughs> Isaiah 56 verse 7. Still good? Not too fast? Okay. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Amen. Amen. We can go African style here. I like that. Hallelujah. Yeah. Amen. Good, good. So, um, so I first actually want to look at this part just... just Instead of just starting to say, like, okay, what are intercessory missionaries? It's more like, what is God looking for? What is his basic principle, his basic structure? And so what he's talking about is, is his house. So what is a house in the Bible? It stands for a household. It stands for more than a building. It stands for the family, the ones that are with you, the ones that you have authority over, the ones that you 
own in a way when you talk about slaves that that was included so all these things that are together it, it's you could say it's the family so the house of prayer from the lord's perspective god's house is god's family that functions as a family of prayer when you say house of prayer so what is a house of prayer it's a family of prayer I think it's really good to remember that because it's become a very common word to say, oh, houses of prayer around the world, prayer movement, another term we don't see in the Bible, but um, which is biblical, I believe. But it's good to sometimes remember, like, what are we talking about when we say house of prayer? Um, we all know it in a way, like it's become more common in the last 20 years to realize that church is not a building and house of prayer is not a building per se. At the same time, that buildings are supportive often to what God wants to do. Um, but yeah, so to, to remember the core identity of a house of prayer is that family. So our identity as you know, sons of God, the ones that uh, are heirs to who he is, his power, his authority, that have a right to walk into the throne room and be with the Father and request things from his hands, that all that is his is ours, that he is our exceeding great reward, like he told Abram. Just an amazing reality. I mean, I just kind of say it in one sentence, but... <laughs> that the king of the universe actually gave us all who he is. That we have access to his throne. That it's really our legal right because of his son giving his life and, and him adopting us after the way was open again, that it pleased the father to adopt us as sons. That he loved it to share all that he has with billions of people. He is so rich, he doesn't have a problem with dividing it over billions. He... he Everything that he is, everything that he has, is to be ours. So that's our legal position. We're sons. That's being part of the family. The other part, of course, you've heard of uh, regularly now the last weeks too, is that we are the bride. We have access to God's heart, not just his stuff and his power and his influence, but we actually are the ones that he himself wants to engage with. We are the ones that actually get to discover deep things that move inside that he, don't, he doesn't just want to say to anybody. It certainly reminds me, uh, um, the reason why I give examples is I like it when words just start sinking in. Um, so I remember this example, I think it was Mike Bickle saying that he was once with Paul Kane or Bob Jones, uh, somebody who's truly a prophet, and um, they were sitting in a cafe, and he asked, and Mike was kind of cynical at the time about the prophetic, he didn't know much about it. So this man that he barely knows that wanted to meet him, says, hey, can we move over because I hear too many things about the people around me. And uh, I, I might confuse the story if it was Mike or somebody else, so forgive me if that was off, but I know the content of the story. So because this guy is like, well, whatever, is that really true? He's like, okay, so what about this lady? The man says, well, she has this history. That's been happening to her. She's just been in a divorce. She's grieving, and I feel the grief, and da-da-da-da-da, and he lists this whole thing. He says, what about that person? The man, named this prophet names all these things. What about that one? And then <laughs> Mike, if it was Mike, goes up and asks those people, hey, is this true? This man says that, and it was true. And it blew him away. He said, you really knew all these things? Like, you feel this, you hear this, you see this? And then he said, but why would God tell you all that when you don't even want to hear it, when it burdens you, when you feel overwhelmed? And what struck me was the answer of this man. that He says, well, sometimes God is just looking for a friend. He just really sometimes wants to share all the things. Not that he is needy. But he, he relates. He wants to share. As he is sitting in the window of heaven, as one vision somebody had once uh, was, was shown, that Jesus is sitting in front of a window watching everything on this earth and weeping over the injustice and feeling it and interceding. 
his intercession is not this distant thing like, okay, what's on the list for today? Let me work through my chores of intercession and then now I can do something else. He's engaging with this world with us all the time. And so that's on the Lord's heart. And so when, he, when we get to access his heart as his bride, that's, that's the highest privilege possible. There's not any other being in this universe that gets to have that access. The things that so far only the Holy Spirit and Jesus knew, now we are invited into it. In all our brokenness and weakness already, he says, I want to open my heart. But there is a bit of a trust journey. And that's why sometimes uh, we wonder why he lets us go through all these things. While truly what he's doing is saying, hey, I want to grow you, mature you, so you are ready to carry more of the revelation of my heart. You're not just going to throw it on the street for everybody to just see the deep things that are in my heart. God truly does have emotions and feelings. He doesn't just share everything all the time with everybody. The proverb, don't throw pearls before the swines, really is from his word. You know, and so there's a thing of friendship, of being his bride, of being the trusted one, where you see some people that have such a deep revelation of who he is. Well, what does it say about the relationship with him? They went deep with him. Why could David see things that were impossible in his time? He understood principles. He, he, like, like how he was treating the law of God, where you would be punished with death if you would eat the bread from a tabernacle. He just did it. He had a clarity about the relationship factor behind the laws that God had given. That was impossible in his time to know if he wouldn't have been talking with the Lord. That he just put singers and musicians in front of the ark without a veil, while the high priest could be killed if he didn't do the right atonement going in once a year, this one man, and David just dares to put singers and musicians in front of the ark. What does it say about his revelation about God's heart? He knew the Lord. So he had spent time with him. He, he had gotten an understanding and he said, the way I've seen you in all your blazing glory, I know this is right. I, I've seen you. I know you love worship and prayer. Let me just put more singers and musicians. It's like the veil, but better. It's live people worshiping you like you've always wanted. It's what I've seen in the spirit in heaven. I don't know how much he has seen of heaven, but he has to have seen something. And so that's the relational part we're invited into. So we're the bride of Christ. We're the sons of God. And all that is part of being his house. It's that place of just endless worship and adoration because it's just the best thing. <laughs> we just, we can't get over how good he is. And so adoration comes back out of our hearts. So God, Jesus said, it is written, my house is a house of prayer. So my family is a family of prayer. That's how we work. That's how we do it. That's how we do life. That's what brings life. That's how everything functions best. That's how we are designed to come fully alive. And so if we are not coming fully alive in our times of prayer, it's not that the prayer is not the good thing. It's just we're growing. We're just growing. And, and any boredom is not because God is boring. It's we're learning. We're growing. So there's always that good promise of all that is to come yet. Praise God. So the function of what we do in the house of prayer is then that we agree with God as priests um, that we have a function as kings and as priests, the kingdom of priests, who minister always before the Lord. And we agree with him, um, with who he is in worship. It, it's just agreeing, Lord, you are worthy. You are amazing. You are beautiful. That's worship coming out from us. And on the other hand, that we agree with what he does in prayer. And that's what intercession is. It's agreeing with God so he will release it then in response to what we've asked him to do, which was what he 
was saying to us is what he would love to do. Um, I like this line about intercession. It's telling God what he tells us to tell him. How many of us have heard that before? I love it. It sounds complicated, but it's not. So we tell God what he tells us to tell him. And it's so offensive in its simplicity that we get tired of it and we stop. But it's how he runs the whole universe. It is amazing. He simply, and that's why it's so good to know him, because then if we abide in him, Jesus says, it's the same principle. If we know him, anything we ask, he will do. Why? Because his desires have become ours. Then we say, God, yeah, save my neighbor. That's always been your longing. And he says, yeah, I have always wanted to do it. And my kingdom works through agreement. You've agreed with me. Now I just speak, Holy Spirit, do it. And he starts working on that person's heart. It is so simple, but that's why Jesus will never cease to make intercession. Never means never for eternity. So even after there's no more sin, after everything has been restored and beautiful, Jesus will go to the Father and say, Father, shall we make a beautiful garden? It's on the Father's heart to make that beautiful garden. You say, yes, let's do it. And the garden is created. It's just how they do life. It's how we are to do life with him. And it's amazing that it means that anything is possible at any time. It doesn't matter what resources we have in our hands. We have access to endless resources through the Father. All we need is agreement. All we need is to know what he longs for and to agree with him. Um, I'll, I'll share a little bit more about this later. There are the practicalities of sometimes there's a waiting or a, a season or a time to it. But it's that agreement with him and then what he longs for is released on earth. And that is an amazing privilege that we get to just be before him and be with him. And... Um, yeah, partner with him in prayer. So from God's point of view, is um, to be saved means we, will, we are ministering before him, that we are priests. We have now become a new being, fully alive, to function fully in how he has designed everything to be. And that includes, and a big part of that is prayer and worship, as I just explained. So he wants us to be engaged. He wants us to be connected in his house of prayer because that's how his family works. And it truly is that changing of the expression and understanding of Christianity on the whole earth. Um, I actually, uh, I don't know if that was explained before how Mike Bickle had that word come to him from the Lord um, about 30 years ago now, I think, 35. Uh, have you heard that phrase before? So in 1982, um, Mike Bickle was traveling and the Lord spoke to him very clearly and he said it was like a reverberating, like a sentence came to him. But he's like, for two days, it was like reverberating in him. Like He's like, I've never had anything like it. But God says, I am going to change the expression and understanding of Christianity in the earth in one generation. That was around the time I was born. And when I look back now and I see the shifts, especially the last 10 years, how it's common to, to, to speak about prayer, worship, end times, God's presence, healing on the streets. Like all these things that should be normal. It's his kingdom breaking in. But if you see the, the, the how fast the shift is, but at the same time that we see the structures we know, they're crumbling. The way we've known and understood church to be, it's falling apart. And we're stressed about it because it's such a big shift. I mean, many of us, I mean, many people feel the, the tension that church doesn't work anymore the way it was because we're learning to be family. We're learning to be in relationship with God in such a strong way that where we gather together, his kingdom is coming. And so we don't just walk through the structures the way we know it. And I'm really not against structures. I think it's just how God works. Like you can't, for example, you can't have one church in Amsterdam in one building. It's just physically not really possible. 
So God really didn't mean for all of us to always be just sitting in one place. That's not what unity means. But unity is that we have that alignment with him and one another, that we are a family that just functions well, that we are a body where every part just, my thumb is not thinking, how do I connect with that toe there? It's just connected to my hand. And it doesn't have to worry about the toe. It doesn't make sense. Like we sometimes try to make all one big thing. And the Lord's like, no, just see where you connect and where I place you and what, what is your part. And my spirit will have the overview of the whole body. Don't worry about the rest. But just excitedly jump in and just go for what I show you. And then I will make sure it works. And it goes against our desire for control and structures in our way where we try to have one overview. We try to have one overview of our world and our church worldwide and all these things. And he's breaking that down. He wants to be the head again. He wants to be the one that we go to again and expect that when we have a meeting in our church and we sit around the table with the leaders that we know that Jesus is going to speak that night of about practical things like how to do the budget. And that's what he's restoring again. Can I be the head again? Can I be the first one to speak again? The one that you all hear and you're in unity about. Good. So we are a family and we are to function as a family of God that's just living around worship and prayer and it's it's the changing of the understanding we have had of what Christianity is like. It's the changing of the expression of it and how it's expressed. What, what way do we show the Lord in this earth? How do we bring his kingdom? That the gospel is not just a gospel of individual salvation, which we've often preached. That a lot of the way we talk about the gospel, we mean individual people need to get saved, so we need to get out and tell them about Jesus. Jesus said, I'm bringing the gospel of the kingdom. I'm coming as the king, I'm establishing my kingdom, but I really want everybody to be saved. I, I mentioned it the last time when I was sharing. So his desire is for a bigger picture than we often think about. And so he's restoring our understanding. And you can see it everywhere where the way we preach and understand the word is, is increasing because of his spirit moving. So we will function as a house of prayer for eternity because that's just how life is with the Lord. Good news if you love it. Um, I already mentioned this, but it really is the highest calling you can have is just to be so close to the Lord that you have his ear and that you have his heart and that he works with us. So let's look at Isaiah 56 a little more. Um, I'll start with verse 3. So it says in Isaiah 56 verse 3, Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Here I am, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and the sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him those to him others besides those who are gathered to him. So Isaiah explains um, 
how great and at the same time unlikely our calling is by just showing that even the most unlikely people, the foreigners, the ones that did not belong to Israel in the covenant, um, the eunuchs, the people that were just, um, well, I'll explain a little more, but just, just the people that were pretty much far out, that you wouldn't expect to have a privilege to be close to the king of kings. He's saying those will receive the highest place of honor. So he, he's just really making a point in a very strong way that, that all the redeemed, no matter how high or lowly um, our standards in this world are, we all are called to this highest place in the universe. We all have this calling. So what is the condition? It's simply that we join ourselves to the Lord. That is all he's looking for. He's not looking for our backgrounds, our intellect, our education. It amazes me how much in me still needs to be rewired in my thinking that something that I do really matters um, to my standing before the Lord. Instead of knowing that truly the only reason why we get to stand before the Lord is grace. It's only Jesus. It's only because he made the way. It's because the Father, because he wanted to adopt us, like I said earlier. So when you look at the foreigners, the Gentiles, I mean, just imagine tribal people living in huts, worshiping demons, having the weirdest rituals, being defiled in their ways. And God says, those people, if they join themselves with me, welcome to the throne room. Welcome to my house of prayer. I will cleanse you. I will redeem you. I will show you my ways. I will teach you. You are welcome. That's the incredible invitation. Demonized people, immoral, hostile to the Lord and to his people, fighting against Israel. And he says, if you join yourself with my people, I will take you. I, you will be my family. You will be my house. But they may say, well, I'm separated from the Lord. And that's often what happens in our hearts where we feel like, oh, something happens in our lives and we feel no longer do I have the right for this place. Like I said, we, we overestimate the importance of our actions and we underestimate the greatness of His grace. And the Lord declares that nothing can separate us from His love. I mean, that's Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from His love or keep us from His calling for that house of prayer, for that family of prayer that we are. So whenever you start believing that you're disqualified, you're not good enough to pray and be part of a worshiping community, that is not the voice of your father. He says, you're all part of my house, whether you're good at it or not. So don't disqualify yourself because of whatever happened in your life, shame, unbelief, condemnation. Then the eunuchs, um, so the men, they were castrated after a war. So often it was prisoners of war or slaves they were castrated, and the idea is now all, all the only purpose you will still have is just to, to is your labor. You're only good as a workhorse. You just get to work for whatever, whoever your master is. You cannot have children yourself. You cannot have an offspring, especially in the ancient Middle East. Your children was really your wealth and your inheritance. It, was, it showed a lot about your power and your strength. So just not having that was such a declaration of like, you are nothing. You have no future, and all you're good for now is, I will feed you so that your power will be made available, your muscle will be made available for my service or your brain. That's your only good. Um, and so the Lord says, especially after those, the ones that might be thinking, well, now there's no future for, him, for me. I'm a dry tree. There's nothing. There's no fruit will come from me anymore. What good is a tree without fruit? You know, maybe I should just be cut off. Whatever thoughts we might have, whatever things might come in us where we feel fruitless and we think we're no good, 
This is what the Lord says. You are the ones I'm looking for in my house of prayer. And I think indirectly we can see that the Lord is, or directly the Lord is saying, don't put your hopes in the physical. If you built your future and your understanding on what you're going to have on this earth, whether in this case, if you would have children, or if you would have, you know, riches or whatever it is, the Lord said there's something far greater than that. It's more real than that. It's bigger than it. I have an inheritance for you. You have a spiritual inheritance. And again, that's not this floaty, fluffy thing of like, it's not real. You really have a future coming. Uh, it struck me when, uh, when our son Zadok was born that I realized, you know, let's say a million years from now, the 30-something years we're apart is nothing. So in the, in the light of eternity, if he walks with the Lord, and we're going to be in the new heaven and new earth, we're, we're going to be brothers, right? I got a buddy there. Like, he's going to be a partner with the Lord and with me and my, my wife and all of us. So even though he's my son in the natural, at the same time, he's my brother from the Lord's perspective at the same time. Like, the Lord created his eternal spirit, created my eternal spirit. We're going to live forever. And so that awareness can help you understand if you are uh, married without children or if you're not married that truly when we say, oh, they're spiritual fathers and mothers, that's not just a sweet way to say, oh, we'll give you a pacifier for, for the desire you have for your own children, physical children. And that's a good and healthy desire if you have that. It's not the Lord's wanting to say, like, oh, just don't, don't long for that. But that the inheritance you have and other people that you mentor and disciple, like your own children that you would have, are, it's, it's the same principle as me raising up my brother Zadok, who is my child at the same time. That doesn't make sense, the picture I'm giving. Like, if we raise up eternal beings who are our brothers and sisters, some of those might be our natural children, some may not. But we are just to raise up other people. And that fruit is eternal, and it's amazing. And I feel that's what God is trying to highlight here, saying don't just look at who came out of your own physical seed. What is, what is your own physical child? Because they're all eternal beings. I just gave you a few to steward as the natural parents. But all these eternal beings around you are at the same level and that you can father and mother them all. Just like he loves to father and mother us all and wants millions of us, billions even. So he wants to give us a bigger picture saying this is not just a pacifier. This is real. We really truly father and mother generations to the Lord who will live with him forever if we disciple them. So he says, I will give a place and a name better than having your sons and daughters. One that shall not be cut off. Everlasting name. So faithful Gentiles will forever have a name of honor in the kingdom. And be remembered for God's throne. And then he promises, he says, I will bring them. I will make them joyful. So this is that burning desire in the Lord's heart where he says, I will do this. And, and it's truly from the Lord that whenever we are placed in this, this awareness and this reality of worship and prayer and being his friends, being his children, being his bride, that it's because he has had the desire and he's bringing it forth in us. He will make us joyful. Just imagine, I mean, that's the contrast you see here. If you have been under the rule and reign of demons that govern this earth because of us handing over the keys... We have, we have a small idea of how many of the noises and thoughts in our heads are actually from the outside. I've heard some stories of people that went to places where there was a real transformation. Um, I don't know if some of you may know Rhonda Huey. 
Um, she's been going around to many places where God's been bringing revival and transformation. And she says, one of the most remarkable things, many people show up there thinking we're going to see big stadium meetings, people crying, people coming to the Lord. You know, that's usually what does it good in the movies or in the documentaries. But what she said, what strikes me is most of the time when I ask these people, what is most important to you? They say, it's the peace of mind. It's the quietness in my soul, in my thoughts. So those villages and cities might look very normal. It's not all like there's no golden glow over the area or something. But many times, and she said the same, well, I will give one example. She said, I walked over a little bridge. And, you know, she's a, she's a godly woman who's walked with the Lord for a long time and is really one of those people that's really close to him, like intimate, just sweet, spends lots of time with him. And she says, I walk over this bridge and suddenly it became quiet in my head. And she literally was like, what happened? And she realized she had entered the physical boundaries of what this village was, where there was transformation, where God's presence was very strong. And all those voices, all these little demons just yapping all day, had to stay out. They couldn't enter. And she said, I was shocked that even after so many years of walking with the Lord, not thinking she's great, but just realizing how much of the thoughts she thought were hers were actually just still from the outside, just those demons that have known you since you were born and are familiar with your thoughts and ways, you know, they can't read your mind probably. But, I mean, they know how to say stuff that they've seen before it worked. So let's try it again. Let's just keep hammering you with the same thoughts, the same fruitless things, the same negative things, the same blah, blah. And it was just amazing. And I've heard that since then more people, because I will ask them, like, if they've been to places where there's a real strong sense of God's presence, like, what does it do? And often it's a quietness. The voices stop, and we can clearly see more, more clearly who he is and what he longs to do. So when he says, I'll make them joyful, just imagine that you come out of this pagan life, our background, or even for us, we're still so much in the world, more than we realize. And then we come in the house of prayer. We, be, we, we become this family of God, just worshiping him. There's our eyes fixed on him. And more and more, just calmness and quietness comes, and his voice becomes easier to hear, and we just know what he's longing for. I mean, why do we keep coming back to times of worship here? I mean, is it that the music is so amazing and the songs you've never heard before? I mean, I think it's pretty good level here. But I guarantee you, if you do this for another five years all day, you've heard it all. The only reason why you will be coming back after five years of this is God. If you do not connect with him in it, you won't be coming back. You'll actually be very frustrated if you put all your time into it and it starts feeling old. Like, why are these people still singing that song? But when you connect with him, when his presence is there, when he just touches you, suddenly you're like, I want more of this. My, my early days in IHOP, I was so hungry. I just showed up thinking, you know, heaven on earth has come here. And I walked into the prayer room, and for the first week, I sat there 10, 12 hours a day, and I don't even remember opening my Bible. And I don't know what I did. I really don't remember. <laughs> I, I mean, I prayed probably in worship, but it was just like the most awesome thing on earth. And a few months later, I would just walk in and out and chat with people in the same prayer room because something me got used to God's presence in that level that I felt there. I'm talking about the I Help prayer room in Kansas City. And so there's something in us that needs to keep engaging. But then as I did that, I realized I didn't care so much about how good the songs were. I mean, if it's really like screeching bad voices, you know, it distracts a bit. But then other people would tell me like, oh man, this worship team is really not that great. And I was really like... Not that I couldn't hear it with my physical ears, but I, I really didn't notice so much because I didn't come for a team to just do a performance in front of me. 
It was just a desire to meet the Lord through whatever song as a jumping board into his presence. Like whatever you just sing or pray, when I mean, you just want to engage with him, you can start anywhere. And, and so that's one of those indicators. When we start getting tired of the worship music and the teams, it's an indicator that we're looking in the wrong place. You know, that we should actually redirect the focus. Like I said at the beginning, we're looking for newness in the sense of unique and fresh. And God says, or do you want to go deeper where it transforms you as you encounter me? Um, I'm kind of surprised all that comes out of my mouth this morning. It wasn't what I prepared, but. Well, Lord, do whatever you want. (laughs) Good. So this was two pages. How's the prayer for all nations? I love this. I never, um, I'm partly using Aaron's notes, actually. Um, I try, I was working on this message, and then I was writing down all this stuff, and I can't read my own handwriting very well. And then I look at his notes, I'm like, oh, he already did all that. So then I took his notes, um, <laughs> scribbled a little bit in. But the uh, house of prayer for all nations, I loved it. It just kind of struck me. I've always been just kind of reading. It's like, it's the house of prayer for all nations, as in like, it's, it's the house of prayer where all nations are welcome. And it's true, and it's very much um, the Lord's heart. It's for everyone. Everyone is included. But it's also the house of prayer, of prayers for all nations. It's that second commandment where we just lovingly serve before the Lord, where we say, you know, God, I really would like to sit under an apple tree in Song of Songs, just soak with you, you know, just feel your presence, love it. And then there's this little nudge, you know, he's like, hey, but I'm also still crying about the other people, you know, like, come on, shall we partner a little bit together to get a few people safe today through prayer? Yeah, let's do that, Lord. Like, thank you for reminding me. So you, you choose to get out of your sweet little moment and just to labor in prayer for a bit, or many hours, whatever it is. But there's another kind of love in that. It's that kinder spirit, the camaraderie of like, you choose to do this with him. And it's another kind of sweetness. It's another kind of growth in, in love, in walking with the Lord in maturity that you see in Song of Songs chapter 2, where he's the, the one coming over the hill saying, are you coming with me? Shall we do stuff together now? And it's both. He wants it both. So that's his desire, house of prayer for all nations, is for all of us together just to simply adore and worship him. And at the same time, to be the house of prayer that is reaching out to all nations, that we are there for the purpose of the nations, to see them connect with the Lord and become part of that family. Does that make sense? Good. So why then intercessory missionaries? Um... Let's just look at Isaiah 62, another familiar passage, probably. I love it how it starts with, um, in verse 1, that it says, God says, for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation is a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness, and all kings, every single king, every single leader, shall see your glory. And so on. So this is really what Aaron was sharing about earlier. There's going to be that day where the new government seat of this earth is Jerusalem. Where Jesus is sitting on that throne. Where he's the righteous king. Bringing the right decrees. And he says, and he says so uh, until that time, I will just not shut up. I just cannot stop. I am longing for this day. I want that reality to be established. Not because I just want a cool city but because I want a people with me that, that has learned to walk with me in love, that, uh, that sees my glory 
because they're made for that. It will make them come alive so much more. He is longing for that day. And then he says in verse 6, it's kind of unfolding his strategy. So I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest until he establishes and until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. So first he starts with, at the beginning of the chapter, I will give myself no rest. And then he says, and now I'm inviting my friends in. The ones that want to stand with me. The ones that want to be like Moses. Where um, Moses literally stood in the gap between God and the people of Israel. And was a watchman before them. He was standing on that wall. And so it's a sovereign act from the Lord. He promises that he will set people. He will set watchmen. He will set intercessors in their place. To release justice, to release blessing, to release the things from the Lord's heart. To raise a protection for his people. So what we do as watchmen, we, you know, um, or, or like, yeah, to engage in worship and prayer. Like I said, that, that whole reality of being a house of prayer. So continually, as you can see from this verse, as we give him no rest, it means we continually remind him of his promises. So we engage corporately, and we can see that from the plural, but also from the reality that says night and day they give him no rest. And we all know we can't just actively be praying night and day with the way God designed us. I mean, there's a, there's a way to be engaged with your spirit as you fall asleep, but you're still sleeping. You're not actively, you know, like issuing decrees in the heavenlies. So there's a reality where we know this has to be more than one person. It has to be a corporate thing where watchmen, plural, together give him no rest, make mention of him. There's this, this dynamic, and it, it kind of goes against how our societies, for most of us, have become quite individualistic. But just like I said with the gospel of the kingdom, God isn't thinking individuals, first of all. He's usually thinking family, groups, together, growing in love through unity, that's just a journey he has, and as we do that and give ourselves to it, we're all changed. We're all becoming better and more like Jesus, and he releases so much through that unity of the Spirit. I mean, when you look at all of us here, we, we barely know each other's backgrounds yet, but there's a unity growing among us that when we worship and pray, you know something is happening because he truly moves when we... And when you pray alone, he answers too, but there's a different dynamic to the whole corporate reality. So, yeah, we call to be watchmen, and Jesus is, is always calling his people to watch and pray. I mean, especially when he talks about the times that are coming, the, what we call the end times, the transition time that is coming. You know, what is his big exhortation to do? Watch and pray. <coughs> or um, Luke 21, watch therefore and pray always, that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. In, in Mark, he says, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. It's kind of the end of the chapter um, around the coming of the Lord and how we can be ready and know that the times are coming. So, as I said before, he, he puts the watchman in place. Um, he calls the people. He sets them in the full-time ministry. So, what we usually see as he's reordering lives, challenging people to, to take up this calling, is the usually his first that convincing. As is he works on our hearts and he starts showing us, I'm really doing this. Why night and day prayer, God? Well, for these reasons. 
because well anyway i won't go into that but <laughs> so why this lord and then slowly this conviction starts increasing this clarity in our hearts or maybe it's a very quick moment where you just you just know it you show up at a meeting like this or somewhere else and you hear this and you're like i've always felt somehow this this is what i'm called to do so that's that first convincing but then there's usually the journey or or it can be quick i mean whatever way you want to do it, but th that setting in place there's a part of well now what does it look like so where do i go what do i do how do i do this and it's partly why we do a training like this because it's great like for me the first week to sit in the prayer room for so many hours but in the second week i actually had a reverse reaction because i was like okay now i'm kind of done <laughs> it was kind of long you know i'm just now i want to do something else and so, so suddenly like i came out of that first excitement and then reality kicked in of like it doesn't always feel exciting and now what do i do how I, how am i going to be a watchman when i wake up in the morning i eat my breakfast and then what do i do the other hours of the day that's just a very real thing because we're human beings made to just live by the day in a way that's even what god encourages us to do a vision for the future but you need to learn to live by the day how do i do my days so after doing that if any of you is self-employed um, most of you will probably agree that one of the bigger struggles is how to use your time well how do you actually do it well how do you actually find a good level of productivity that is healthy not too much not too little not too much mingled with private life all these things there's a struggle just in that reality and there's a training needed there's a clarity needed and that's a very normal thing so there's often then that revealing of where we're called to pray when how to do it there might be some training involved whether it's by his spirit in whatever way he does it or by doing a school which is hopefully also by his spirit um, and then there's the part the third thing is just we need financial provision very simple and it's just a reality that we that god has put in place that it says this is just how it works there is this uh there is need of provision you need food you need clothing um i say financial provision but honestly i think a better way to say it is like we need provision uh, whatever way he does it you can have somebody who just says you can live in my house for the coming years i mean we've had seasons where that just suddenly happened and the lord would just provide a place for us to live for free somebody that didn't even know us he didn't even know what we did we were getting married and three months before that for the first time in my life i was like i don't think i'll have money this month to pay my rent and the guy that was renting a room from shows up just puts his head around the corner and says oh by the way you don't have to pay rent this month and then he just walked out and i was like what <laughs> and, and so Aleta, we were engaged so let us sit in there and i but i knew somehow in my spirit that that month i wouldn't have the money like i've had many times i didn't have the money at the beginning of the month but it would come in later but somehow i just had this calm feeling like oh i won't have the money and so he says, you don't have to pay. And then I'm like, so next month I'm like, hey, you know, what did you mean by that? Because I'm like, I kind of want to hear now if this is for the rest of the month or not. He's like, oh, yeah, God just told me he doesn't have to pay rent anymore until he's married. So there was, and it was exactly the point where I didn't have the income anymore. Because we were together living off the support I had just for me. Then we got married, but, you know, we were, you need to live somewhere, right? <laughs> so, and I couldn't live in that house anymore. Um, and then so then there was this other person that just said hey you can live in my house and for a whole year we just lived there for free and so the lord would just do that and then things changed and he started providing through other people started to give more money and we could just start paying this man and you know so there's like just these ways that he does it where we often think god i need money but what we really need is just to bring our need before him like if i need to go to my hometown right now and i don't have transportation i can ask for money or i can just say god i need to go to my hometown 
And often we get confused because we think we know the solution and we pray for that solution that we think it is what we need instead of praying for the need we have. Just a thought. So the Lord wants to release provision to sustain us in what he's calling us to do. And I love Hudson Taylor saying, God's uh, work done in God's way will never lack his supply. He really will provide for what we do. It doesn't always look like it because it's a training ground at the same time and it's something that the enemy battles over. But he really is going to provide. And as we are journeying with him, we're going to learn how he wants to provide. There's been times that he, just between me and him, I wouldn't tell anybody I needed money. And that was before I was labeled missionary. So nobody knew I didn't have money. Like if I would do it now, everybody would still assume I would need money. But nobody knew. And suddenly from day one, somebody put 100 euros in my backpack. And it was just the weirdest thing in my whole life that had never happened. And I was like, this is really working. Then after two years, I was thinking, why doesn't every missionary do this? Why are these other fools just asking for money? You know? <laughs> and so the Lord's like, it's probably time for a shift. <laughs> so suddenly he twists my arm and um, no money suddenly comes in right before I started my internship and gave it all away. Literally, I got it all from somebody and gave it away because I got so excited. And, um, and he's like, that wasn't really what I meant for you to do. So, um, and then he's like, no, you got to call people now. And then the thing is, when I just obeyed that, suddenly I got six times more than I need. I needed 900 euros that I gave away too much in my excitement. And six times more than that came in in a week. And it was just this crazy thing. I sent out one little email to the people that I know that wouldn't, you know, they normally wouldn't give. <laughs> um, and, and one, no, I, don't, I didn't even call anybody. I just sent out one email. Before I went to bed already, in one hour I had already the commitment for 900 pretty much from different people. When I woke up, the same amount was already in my bank account from other people, and it just kept growing through the whole week, and I was just looking like, wow. And then I felt the Lord just kind of say, hey, I liked your excitement. It wasn't wisdom in how you pushed a little further than I wanted you to do, but I loved your excitement, so I'm blessing it. And I thought it was like such a nice way of being corrected, where it's like, you now have to call people, you just have to start asking. I've been hinting at this for six months that you should start asking, and I kept thinking it was the devil. And, um, you know, so there's seasons. And then another time he gave me a job with a friend of mine. It's like super hard manual labor to make thatched roofs. You're all dirty all day, and it was super heavy. My muscle pain was so bad that after three days of work, I worked three days a week. After four days when I came back to work, it was still hurting for three months. And But the great thing was I was aware of this. My family is quite a, a lot of them are from a farmer's background totally confused about what I was now doing. I already became a charismatic who got baptized again. So that was like 400 years of Calvinism in my family roots. So I can trace it back. <laughs> Small town. So they're like, what are you doing? There's no way to bridge that gap. It's so out of the world. And I was just feeling this thing. Like I always try to be like kind of a chameleon. Like let me be the, the Calvinist to the Calvinist, you know? And not like offend them and get baptized and all these things. And the Lord just did it. So all that stuff just kind of broke down, and they were, like, not able to relate with me at all. I was really a foreigner to them. And then the thing that happened afterwards, I mean, Aletta met one uncle 10 years after it happened, the thing with that job I had for three months, touching roofs. And this uncle said, well, I know you are legit. I don't understand what you're doing, but I know you're legit because you made those roofs. Isn't it interesting? The Lord knew the way to their hearts. That was their world where they had respect for a pe person that would do that. And they said, if you are willing to do this and you work hard that way, then if you say you're doing this prayer thing, it probably is legit then too. 
And I just thought it was so interesting. So again, there was a, a way that the Lord was just building reports in a way that I didn't like. <laughs> but um, he's good. So he releases provision. And he releases authority in prayer. There's really something in us that starts growing when we say, Lord, this is who I am. It really is my job. It's my calling. It's who you designed me to be, and I'm going to do this. And I see through the years, as I've been probably since 2004, pretty much full-time in ministry, you could say. Um, through the years, I, I have many, I have quite a few talents and areas where I could be good at, probably, if the Lord would train me in that area, give me the space. So whenever I find it boring in the prayer room, I'm not constantly thinking I'm going to find a distraction. But, you know, it's just like, oh, maybe the Lord really wants to also include this in my ministry, you know. And I, I start kind of directing my time and energy a little bit somewhere else. And then every once in a while, I come back to a place like here, where it's like, hey, just lead this thing, and it's going to realign you again to remembering that you're called to the house of prayer. So there's that thing where he does it in our hearts where we need years and years to wrestle through the foolishness and the simplicity of prayer and worship. It really is true. There's a thing in your heart that just needs years. If you are cold for this, you're going to have these times that you think it's just stupid. I'm not prophesying it over you. I don't hope you have that. But at the same time, I do hope you have that, and you wrestle through it, and you get to the clarity. And that's something that strikes me when I talk to somebody like Murray and Deborah, who have a few years longer than me in that reality. There's another level of clarity in s being settled in their hearts that I can tell I'm not yet at. But I'm further than I was, so I'm not worried about it. I mean, the Lord is a good leader. But there's that need to be set, set as a watchman, just that you know, even it's raining, I'm still on this wall. No enemy has showed up for the last five years. I'm still sitting on this wall. I see nothing happening. It's sun, it's hot. You know, just imagine these watchers on these old walls. I mean, it was just, wasn't that exciting. You're just looking at the same dirty road in front of the, the town gate, and nothing ever happens. Sometimes it feels like that. But it doesn't make it less important. And as we grow in the spirit, we, our sight increases in the spirit as watchmen. We start seeing and perceiving more. We start seeing more what gets in motion as we partner with the Lord. And it changes the clarity in our hearts. And we, at some point, you know, when, when people are set and you meet them, you just know they have a clarity. It doesn't matter anymore for them where they are at, if their house of prayer grew or decreased. I mean, you might feel the, the relational dynamics. It's not easy to be alone. <laughs> obviously, but but it doesn't change the clarity in your heart. And that's a process that the Lord will take us through, and it's a blessing when he does it. So give it time. Just um, And I would say even these weeks or before these weeks, I mean, it doesn't have to be here, but if you feel the stirring and you say, hey, I really think there's something about this being called to be an intercessor, to be an intercessory missionary, just give it time. Just start moving in the direction. Just see what the Lord does. You know, if you're like, is this really me? Is it full-time or not? Well, just try it for a season. I mean, what is there to lose? There's no better place than, I would think, than to be in the throne room. So <laughs> it's not really a job that you would regret later, I think. Um, so it's good to, to just pursue it when the Lord speaks to you about it. Let me see what things I will skip. So one example, um, I love this part, when you, um, in Luke 2, it just says a few verses, it talks about Anna, who was a widow of 84 years old. You've heard about it before, right? So the guess would be, you know, people would marry young, um, usually around 15, 16 years old, 
Um, she was married for a number of years and then became a widow. So that's probably about 60 years of her not being married, just serving the Lord in a temple. And when Jesus showed up, I mean, it says she, she served God with fastings and prayers night and day and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So out of that relationship he had with the Lord, that laboring to be with him in his temple, to say, I'm dedicating my life to this. I'm not like a eunuch. I'm not like a, a dry tree. I have life in the Lord. That lady was alive. She was, I don't think she was very much worried about her future. She must have had some level of clarity to do this for that long. She didn't even have an example of anybody else doing that. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't that she was just told to do this, probably. And, and then when she meets Jesus, she just goes out and, and speaks about him to all the people around her. And I believe that really, just as this was with her and Simeon just expecting the first coming of Jesus, that is a picture of the reality that will grow with his second return. That, but now the skill is quite different. The first time Jesus came to one small nation as a human being, in disguise pretty much you could say, now he's going to come back with his armies taking over all the earth in a very short amount of time. And that's going to just a whole different level of preparation that he's going to do. But I believe it's a similar principle that the ones that will just be there with him in the temple, serving and ministering before him night and day, will be the ones that prepare the way for him. Amen. Somebody's getting quite excited. Sometimes you just can't hold it in, right? It's like, whoa! So, must be that. Okay, a few more aspects around this whole reality of like God raising up his house of prayer. Um, in short, the pattern we see, you know, when, when Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, how often do we really ask ourselves the question, so what is it like in heaven? We often just kind of have an unconscious, immediate assumption, and we pray for like, let the good things that God wants be done on earth. We don't often really think like, so what's happening in heaven to be done on earth? But what we see in heaven where God just... You know, you could say he had a blank canvas. He had an empty space that he just completely filled in the way he loves it. So everything in heaven is there because he wants it. There's no sin. There's nothing that's hindering anything. So guess what he loves? Guess what just makes him so excited is having all these people around his throne. These elders, these angels, these fiery beings, spectacle, beautiful colors, loud noises, burning fires, seven before him, just a sea mingled with fire that looks like glass, those kind of things, that reality is what he loves. So when we are called to be his family, guess what we're going to become more and more like? It's that reality. And so on earth is in heaven. He's looking for those realities here on earth. It will be limited in our time. Like I said, it can be super boring because we're not always the best musicians and players and things get a little old over time. But, you know, we can at least stretch as far as we can go. Like, Lord, how much would you give us now on earth? How much would you want to visit us now? How much of you and us together as your family will be already on earth as it is in heaven? So what do we see in heaven? Only God is worshipped. God is worshipped by everyone. And God is worshipped all the time. That's just so on his heart. Another thing what we see is in heaven is just um, there's music. People sing back and forth. There's a responsive singing. Um, there's prayer mingled with it. So all these things you've been talking about all these last weeks, it's simply because we're longing to see a little bit of heaven already on earth, and we believe it will bring heaven to earth in the future. 
So when we compare this place, this order in heaven, worship and prayer, music just interacting together, people from their hearts just can't contain themselves. And they, it's like a little child that tries to sing, you know, and they just scream pretty much because they're trying to really express the excitement inside. You know, I, I think when we see the Lord, we're just going to be like, how else can I express all that's coming up? Like, oh, Lord, you're amazing. Holy are you. Like that, it just comes out of your inside. And luckily, we'll have a body that will be able to express it more. Um, but when you compare that, and then you compare it to the state of earth right now, just, just think of that contrast again, where God is just, where people are raging against God's glory and beauty where he's just not love, where we don't want him, then really something should rise up in us that says, Lord, we want your name to be made great. It is time for you to be seen for who you are. Nobody is worthy as much as you. And that's true justice, Jesus, and his name being restored on earth. Another thing we see from heaven and the way God does things is that there's a convergence between how things go in heaven and on earth by us starting to pray and do it the way that we see in heaven i'm going through this really quick right now um but if we ask god wants to do now but it's coming in fullness in the future and so the lord is saying i'm going to bring heaven and earth together through what jesus made possible but it's partly unto but because of us replicating here on earth with the measure that we can attain to what is already happening in heaven so it's an alignment. It's when you hear the song in heaven, and it's ten times more beautiful than anything we can ever do. But when we sing the same song, there's still an alignment, right? It's like you, you just jump into the same flow. And that's the longing from the Lord, where we already start with the ability we have, start seeking, Lord, how can we, with our ability, do what we see through your word, what you're doing in heaven? What is happening there that makes you so, what moves you so deeply? What is the desire of your heart? What is how you govern? So it's those realities, like we said, the praying of the scriptures, the singing towards him. And, and the main thing really is just to have our focus on him, that everything we do should just be completely focused on his beauty, his glory, just him. And I think that's always the defining thing when I talk to many of my brothers and sisters that I love that are saying, hey, yeah, we want to place a prayer or hey, we like this kind of way or that flavor or this one or that stream. But what I what strikes me and what I start losing sometimes in my own heart to the clarity is that our main goal is not intercession or worship as in like a time of worship, but our main goal is simply to have God in the center. That we want places where it's all about him. And that we just accept the reality that we don't yet have the clarity and capacity to do that 24 hours because after an hour we run out of ideas of what he's like. And then we realize we need to get to know him more. And then often we start doing something else in our place of prayer because we, are, we feel our dryness. We feel our emptiness. We realize we don't have that much prayer life. But instead, it should be the thing that we said, so Lord, we want to press in. I love that about our house of prayer where I'm part of right now. There's a clarity on the leaders that say, hey, we don't want to get satisfied with other things, so let's stick with this pain that after an hour of just, sometimes we have times where we say, let's just bless the Lord. And we run out of things in three minutes. You know, and then we do it again the next day. And then it's not after four minutes because we got some new ideas. <laughs> but we see it grow over time. And then we just were sticking with it. We're like, Lord, we really want to develop truth and language and reality inside where eyes, our little eyes right now start seeing you more. And we just want to stick with it and not just get distracted like, oh, let's now sing another song then so we don't have to feel the pain of what we don't know. 
you know like not again it's it's not the songs or anything like that but um so that's that's that invitation and the desire from the lord to be the center of everything because that's how everything will be satisfied and fulfilled that's how we're designed to be so as we know the lord is just um, and that's the last aspect I want to look at. The Lord is just really making, moving things in the earth, changing the expression and understanding of Christianity. It, and everywhere we see, as we've shared, especially the first sessions, that everywhere we see prayer and worship increase and are longing for it. And a lot of people not even understanding it yet. So they talk in a language that we need to almost translate their desires and say, I think what you're longing for is just to have God in your midst. I see that's often what happens. People want to start all kinds of new things in the churches. But when you talk with them, what they really actually wish they could have is more of God. And you often have to almost tell them, like, maybe you're not looking for more programs. Maybe you really are just not knowing how to have more of God, but that's what you wish you could do. So you go back to what you know to do, which is organizing more. And so that's his desire, and that's coming to his church more and more. And, um, and it's very clear. I, um, Mark and Karen Anderson, their main leaders in YBAM, in 2004, they had a, both at the same time, they were seeking the Lord, and he spoke very clearly. And he said, my house is a house of prayer, as we've looked at at the beginning of this session. And if it's not a house of prayer or a place of prayer, it is not my house. And it's very simple. So when we talk about raising up houses of prayer, we're not trying to be exclusive about our niche, that we think everybody should think that we are the coolest. It's just simply, it's what he says. My house is, all, is a house of prayer. It can't be any else. If it's not a place of prayer, it's not his house. It's very simple. You can really deduct that. It's not a difficult sentence, right? So we're not, it's when we talk house, well, the way you fill it in can look different, but it's to be a family, like I said at the beginning of that, encountering the Lord, and where people are set in place to minister before him. So I finally want to quickly, because um, I, I did want to go back to the intercessory missionary term, Honestly, I don't care so much about what label we give ourselves, but the label can give a clarity. So when we talk about intercession missionaries, the Bible doesn't have that term, but it clearly talks about the principle of being ones that are sent out and set apart to disciple nations. And intercession missionaries, if you look at preaching and mercy ministries, um, so acts of mercy like you know people that are poor that need help, in disasters or like doctors and nurses going out to bring the gospel but also really uh, do the acts of mercy um, and intercession those three aspects should also always be part of missions so preaching mercy deeds intercession but intercession missionaries know with clarity we are set as watchmen and the first thing that we will do is always going to be prayer and worship so that's simply what we mean with that term that we know that we're called, first of all, to be watchmen. More maybe than some others in the body of Christ, just like others may do certain things more than we do. Um, while everyone is called to prayer and worship, of course. So that's God's strategy and requirement to bring in the harvest that is coming. To see a shift in the atmosphere as, as cities open up. The, the regional atmosphere can shift through prayer and worship. And that it will, just like I explained earlier, how our thoughts are so influenced by the environment we're in. So imagine when a lot of demonic activity is stopped by the light of the Lord, you will suddenly see people respond to you that were before unable to hear. I mean, in Uganda, we shared one story, but we've had many, well, many, several already so far, stories of people that came to, uh, people sent out from this house of prayer where we're going, into South Sudan, into Ethiopia, into strong Muslim strongholds, 
and they would show up and before when they preached they were kicked out or threatened with death or their van would be almost burned or things like that then they were taught to like just pray and worship so they would rent a house start prayer and worship completely unreached tribe for hundreds of years and they said just last year before we came back some people i've known for several years that have been laboring in worship in worship and prayer and in evangelism they're very strong men and they came back and they said, you don't know, you, you won't believe what happened. We started for a year and a half not to worship and pray. And suddenly people come walking into our room and get saved. Like we didn't even preach on the street yet. And it is just amazing to see that these people are drawn to God's presence. I mean, there's worldwide so many stories. People saying, we were just talking about it this week, Faldy Brennan plays in Wills, where people show up mad, like angry, cursing at the front door saying, what is going on here? I was driving on this road and my car went to the right. What is wrong with this place? They were angry. And then some of them encountered the Lord and get saved. Others just didn't. They refused. But I mean, you know, that level of presence can be there. Where God is just there and people just have to come. So, final thought. So, as we labor with the Lord, he releases justice. Justice means things being set right. It can be the judgment on the things that are evil. Or it can be the blessing and the salvation of those that respond. It can be somebody who's already fully loving Jesus, it can be somebody who simply says, yes, I'm okay if you pray for me for healing. It doesn't always mean they're already following the Lord, but the Lord just loves to bless. And so as we pray, we see salvations, we see healings. There can be uh, a justice coming to the church where re- there's a reviving of our who we are and we love the Lord more. Unity that comes where God judges division in society and families. Um, holiness, so it's a judgment on anything that is sin, that is wrong. And the final judgment, of course, is, is what we see the judgments in the end times where rightfully God is saying, now I'm going to cleanse this earth from everything that's dirty, including the people that have consistently chosen against me. And let none dare to say that I'm not right in doing this. Because if you look back on history, how long he has allowed them to just abuse his bride, make life hard, kill her, just all these things. And he's just given time said, will you save, will you follow me, will you follow me, that when that time comes, we will, we will just know it's right, that now it's the time for the judgment. We will be praying with him for these things to happen. Through intercession, like I said, everything is released and everything is done. So Jesus will be praying, Father, let the next trumpet go now. And we will say, yes, Lord, the next trumpet. Do we see where this is going? But we will need maturity that we don't just start judging in our own ideas. So that's, again, why we need to know his heart so we don't become foolish like he told John and James and like, please shut up. You want to rain down fire on this village? Like, who do you think you are? Like, my heart is way more merciful than that. So anyway, so I want to close with this call to us. Um, As I said, some of us might be um, having a feeling of stirring these last weeks and or the last years or whatever. And. We just want to give you a time to respond to that. Like if you, if you feel the Lord's really giving more clarity about this family of prayer that he's raising up, that his house, his family is a community, a place of prayer, of worship, of releasing the things of his heart on this earth, of standing in the gap. And you feel like I really see it more and more. And this is what I want. I know he's setting me on the wall, whatever that looks like. You may not know yet where. You may not know or understand how you're going to be funded, how he's going to provide. That really is not important. Uh, in, in, in a way, it's useful you know, to know at some point. But if you just know he's calling you, that's, that's the main thing where he says, do you want to say yes? 
so I can start leading your life in that direction. Sometimes he just does it, but a lot of times he's waiting for us to agree with him and say, Lord, yes, do it. <laughs> just the same principle. So I want to just ask you if, if you're like, yeah, I feel this, even if it's the third time or fourth time you're responding to this. But just if you want to just raise your hand or stand up. And we just want to bless you in the process together. So if you feel like, yes, the Lord is really doing this in my heart. I don't know how or what, but I just want to be full-time, maybe for a season part-time until you can be full-time, whatever way it looks like. But Lord, I know you're putting me in the wall. You're setting me in the wall. And don't worry if you don't feel it. You're not less. You know, we just need to do what the Lord calls us to be in the house, in his house. Yeah, thank you, Aaron. <laughs>